Welcome to the Unstoppable Podcast, the official podcast of Unstoppable Domains. Join us each week to hear from leading experts in the exciting new fields of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and the decentralized web, where we talk about the future of the internet and what that means for humans like us. Not only will this podcast help you sound super smart around your friends, but you'll also learn how you can become a pioneer in the space and help lead the charge towards a more decentralized web. Welcome, everyone, to the Unstoppable Podcast. Uh, I'm joined again today by Diana Chen. So, Diana, thanks for for joining. Of course. Thanks for having me back. Great. So, uh, we're we're starting to get into the groove on this uh, podcast episode. So, today, uh, we're still going to keep this at a high level. We're going to be talking about crypto finance and why this is good for you, the user. One of the first questions I get asked whenever I start telling people that I work in crypto or that I'm in the blockchain industry is, why would I ever need this in my life? And my answer to them is normally, well, you probably don't need it right now, but you're about to see this just impact you in so many different ways. So the last couple episodes, we talked about you know uh, what blockchain was, uh, what these new technologies were doing, and how they may start uh, creeping into your everyday life. Today, we're going to focus on much more practical issues. Um, how is this directly going to impact you? So um, I think one of the first places we wanted to start about was was mostly about currency itself. And if you've been in the news recently, at least this past week, I think there was a big bill that was put into the US Congress for uh, stable coins called the stables bill. So that's been a topic of conversation among those who are in the blockchain space. And um, countries, digital banks, banks in general, the finance industry is trying to wrap its head around what is all this digital finance going to mean uh, for me. So uh, I guess we'll we'll start off there. And uh, Diana, I'll let you come at me with the questions. And we'll just kind of progress through and see where this goes. Yeah, sure. So uh, I mean, the, the theme of this seems to be, you know, me just asking you dumb and dumber questions. But I just want to take it a step back, even from why is crypto finance good for you? I'm just trying to wrap my head around this whole concept of a digital currency. Like I, I understand cash. I think we all understand cash. And, you know, at this point, I think everybody understands credit cards. Apple Pay is probably the newest thing that maybe some people still don't understand. Tap your phone on the thing and that allows you to pay. But now we're talking about a digital currency. So like what, help me understand what this even means. Are countries still going to have their own currency? Like how, if I went to China, how would I use my money on my Apple pay or on, on my, you know, uh, my Bitcoins to pay in China when they have a totally different, uh, currency and transaction rate and all of that. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. So I want to start off. First of all, it's a good idea to take it from the top. I just want to point out that you already have a digital currency in your wallet. Like when you tap Apple Pay or when you swipe a credit card, all of these things are digital. We have moved away from cash. Very few people actually use cash on a day-to-day basis. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that does. Uh, but some people, but most people I know don't use cash. And uh, they use their credit cards, their bank cards. They use Venmo, PayPal, um, any of these other methods to make payments. So we've already digitized currency. The problem is the systems that we have built our versions, our current versions, and we should maybe call them like digital currency 0.0. It's the very first accidental version of digital currency where all systems that were created back in the 1960s. So what happens when you make a payment with your Apple Pay at the Starbucks is it actually goes to a database on a bank and then it changes the database entry. And because it's so inefficient, it takes several days for that to be recognized across all of their various bank databases at the same time. There's a, there's a clearing period. And you wouldn't believe that it actually takes three days 
in some cases, to clear very large transactions. So when someone is trading stocks on the New York Stock Exchange or sending a large loan for maybe building a new manufacturing facility, it can take several days for that money to clear. And what happens is during that time period, you know, banks make money on interest. So if they have to wait three or four days for the money while it's in transit, that's a period of time where that money can't be put to use. And if you think about trillions of dollars moving along the global economy, always having this uh, time period between when the transaction, everyone agreed to it, like, and then being able to get the money in your account causes a lot of trouble. And you can see this with merchants, right? So when you buy something from Starbucks, it's probably pretty quick because they have a pretty good back end. If you buy something from your local coffee shop, maybe they only get credit card payouts once every two weeks. So there's that that time lag there. And so these next generation of uh, cryptocurrencies essentially make that whole process significantly cheaper and a lot faster. So it's a lot less scary than you think. It's not like a, a new thing. We've been building digital currencies just on top of really bad architecture for the past uh, 40 or 50 years. So that's the first part of your question. And it's like what we're doing with, that you know, so we already had them, and now we're just going to make them a lot better. Uh, the next question I think you were asking about uh, maybe like global currencies, like the dollar or the or the yuan, or where were you trying to go with that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just how do you how do you measure valuation? So right now, say right now, like one U.S. dollar is equal to I don't I don't know the latest rate. Like say like it's like around six. Chinese yuan or, you know, whatever the case may be. So then if I go to China and I've got one, uh, you know, I'm going to invent a new crypto, a wild coin, I've got one wild coin in my wallet and that's equal to one US dollar and I want to buy something over in China, then that, you know, that's like one Chinese yuan. So then would I only be paying, you know, point whatever out of my one wild coin that I've got in my wallet, or how would that work? Yeah, so you brought up a couple of things there. One of the ones is like, are we going to have all of these new and interesting currencies? So that's that's like a topic we can hit on. Uh, and then the other one is how are we going to figure out the exchange value between all these new digital currencies that we've created? So I'll take the first one first, which is I actually don't think you're going to be doing a lot of payments with uh cryptocurrencies that are not attached to uh, some national currency peg for, for everyday payments. And what I mean by that is, I think that if you um, want to buy a coffee at Starbucks, you'll probably pay with a uh, crypto coin that is equal to one US dollar. And there's a couple of examples of these that are already in the market. Tether, I think is the largest, what we call stable coin. And then there's USDC, which is one that's backed by Coin Center. Uh, Coinbase is one of the people there, along with a couple of exchanges uh, and banks in New York. And I think that you're going to see more financial institutions issue tokens on the blockchain that are equivalent to uh, dollars in real life. And so this is already happening. So it's like an easy prediction. And uh, this is why the Stable Coins Act actually came out this year in the US, is they want to t- talk and think about how these new stable coins could potentially create financial instability. I mean, that's the job of these regulators. And the reason is, is that two years ago, I think there was, there was definitely less than a billion dollars of these tokens that were tied to national currencies on the blockchain. And then this year, I think there's $20 billion of tokens tied to the US dollar. So to be very clear what this is, you can have a dollar coin. Um, this is also called a stable coin. That's what people refer to these two. And you can walk into a store that accepts cryptocurrency payments and you can pay. So if I want to check out of the coffee shop and they accept cryptocurrency, they could tell me, hey, this costs $5.20 something cents. And then I can send them 5.2 
uh, you know, $5.20 of stablecoin token directly to them. So there's no need to do the currency exchange in that case. And this is why stablecoins are so interesting and why a lot of people in crypto are very excited about the growth in the stablecoin market, because these are going to make day-to-day transactions a lot easier. And the other cool thing is when you pay that merchant with that money, the merchant gets it immediately. Like I was talking about at the beginning, you had to wait until your credit card processor approves it. Usually takes anywhere from three to 30 days, depending on your backend systems. When you pay with a stable coin, they get it right then. And uh, if you are a contractor, like maybe you have a small business and uh, you do a lot of business right now, you probably do it in cash because you need that money right now. Like if you're building uh, you know, a house and you're the contractor who comes out, does the lumber, you can't wait three days in order to get re- repaid for the lumber that you just picked up the lumber yard. You need that cash today, sometimes in advance. And digital currencies make that possible. If they swipe with a credit card, it takes three days. You get, you're not going to, if you have a construction project, you don't want to wait three days to get the money before you do the next step. That's why people use cash in our economy currently, it's super, because it's quick. It, it settles immediately, instant settlement. Okay, I yeah. so I understand that bit. So from the merchant side, like if you're like a small independent coffee shop and you don't want to pay those exorbitant transaction fees for people to pay with their credit cards, I, I totally get why you would rather ex- accept cryptocurrency. But for me, like what difference does it make for me as the consumer at the coffee shop to pay 525 you know, uh, stable coins versus just pay $5.25 out of my Capital One Visa card? So the use cases that are going to happen first are going to be the ones where people have the most pain about doing them. So I think that like the use case I was giving you where you're maybe a small business and you actually, uh, you know, you are in the middle of some sort of project and you need to be paid as you go along in order because you also have vendors that you need to pay out. Catering, you can imagine being the same way. Um, So those will be, for those larger transactions, it actually will make a big difference for getting that money immediately. For consumers, you can imagine a future where you actually get a discount for paying with uh, cryptocurrency because now they're avoiding uh, the transaction fees. And almost every coffee shop I go to has some sort of uh, rewards program for the more times that you shop there. And you can imagine something similar for uh, making a purchase with uh, cryptocurrency. Right now, if I shop on Amazon, my Amazon card, I get a discount because I'm using the Amazon card of the Amazon store. So you could see things like that pop up too uh, for the consumer side. But I think the real value on having a digital currency is going to be how much easier it is for you to do uh, savings and investing and managing your financial your financial processes. It'll just be a lot cheaper. So to answer a consumer question, it's actually going to be a lot easier for you to invest in things like stocks. Uh, like everyone knows Robinhood, especially if they live here in the U.S., but internationally, it's very hard to invest in U.S. companies. Um, if you if you're an international citizen, this could may, be made a lot easier once we have a decentralized finance uh, backend for people to uh, for people to plug into. Got it. Makes sense. Okay, so now I'm going over to China again. I want to buy some coffee from the coffee shops there, and I want to use my stable coins or you know my my bitcoins or whatever whatever I have in my wallet. How does yeah. that work? Okay, so this is going to be a lot easier for you, and you're actually going to save a lot of money. So if you like to travel. If you are older, you may remember a point in time when you actually traveled with travel checks or traveler's checks, right? And this was a very long time ago. Uh, and you know now everyone uses credit cards when they travel. But if you travel a lot, you know that those credit cards are typically charging you a very high fee unless you use a very specific credit card that people uh, like to use for, for travel. 
So let's say you uh, don't have one of those credit cards that's great for traveling, or you've taken a look at the exchange rate that your current credit card company offers you, and it's not a very good exchange rate. Instead, you could uh, load up your you know, cell phone with crypto, and, and let's say that you were visiting China, you could load it up in the future with digital one. And then when you get to China, you could actually just spin that just like you would tap with Alipay. And then hopefully even with Alipay, because we expect large payment companies like Alipay to integrate cryptocurrency into their applications. PayPal just started doing this in the US. It's a baby step. It's going to take a long time for, the, for that to happen. But you could imagine using your Alipay or PayPal app and before you travel, or even while you're traveling, just load it up with um, stable coins from your bank, uh, converting that currency into the stable coin, and then spending it directly. And this would save you the credit card fee. And credit card fees are usually really high internationally because there's a lot of risk when you travel, right? Because your credit card company is like, you're in a different country. We have no idea what your spending habits are. It's a lot more risk. And the financial networks are a lot uh, worse on the back end when you're connecting from country to country. Like inside the US, you can ship a payment from one bank account to another and it can cost about 20 cents. But when you need to do a payment from uh, Europe to the United States, like a wire, you get charged 30 to $50 for that now. And, and that's the same problem that the credit card company has. It's a little bit different, but it's similar in that they have to uh, reconcile those two. So I think it's going to make it cheaper. You'll be able to travel and then on your Alipay phone, instead of using your credit card where your exchange rate we're just making up numbers here. Like your phone may say, oh, $1 is only worth five one on your credit card if you swipe your credit card. But if you buy the one directly on a blockchain, maybe you get a six to one conversion uh, and that would allow you to spend more. So you'll actually save money on the transaction fees and you won't have to go to a money changer because you'll be able to do that directly from your cell phone. And this is the thing that I think people are going to have to get used to is you're going to be doing a lot more of your financial transactions for your phone. So people like me, are still spending cash or like my, uh, like my, well, my dad doesn't use checks anymore. Uh, I don't know anyone who uses checks, but for people who are used to using really old ways of doing payment processing, they're going to have to get much more comfortable using their phone for a lot more of their financial interactions. Got it. Okay. So tell me if this is a dumb question, maybe I just missed it, but isn't there still going to be an exchange rate transaction calculation that's going to take place at some point. It's just now instead of the credit card company doing that exchange rate for you or telling you what that exchange rate is, it's the Bitcoin, you know, or the crypto company or like a central bank or somebody like, isn't somebody still going to have to do the math on that exchange rate? So, yeah. And people are already doing this. And uh, so there are already exchanges that exist on the blockchain. They're known as decentralized exchanges or DEXs is the term that people use for them. And these can actually programmatically give you a trade right now between one currency pair and another. And this is something that a lot of people are excited about for next year, believe it or not. We've been waiting to build a blockchain-based um, currency exchange, blockchain FX, uh, for the past decade. And people have been working on this problem for 10 years. And, and we're just now starting to see this happen. They have some regulation uh, pieces that are being worked out. And there's a lot of people that are on all sides commenting and trying to make sure that this is going to be safe. But it works already. And they already have this set up uh, for trading between different kinds of cryptocurrencies. So you can actually trade Bitcoin to Ethereum on the blockchain, you don't have to have a bank. You don't need a credit card company. You don't need uh, an exchange, a centralized exchange or like Coinbase or Gemini or anything like that to tell you what the rate is. 
because there's a market maker that's sitting there on the blockchain constantly trading this back and forth in order to determine the price. So the biggest difference you're going to see is, again, you're going to get a much better deal as a consumer. Because when you swipe your credit card, you're doing an exchange as a captive member of that credit card company, and they're just going to charge you whatever the hell they want, and they're going to take an extra 5% on top. But when you do the exchange on your phone in your you know, PayPal or Alipay or crypto wallet in the future, you're going to be making that trade directly with the broker dealer who's setting the rate on chain. So you're going to save yourself three or 5%. The best part is you don't actually need to know how any of that works as a user. You'll just click a button on your phone that says, I have $1,000 in my bank. I want to change that $1,000 into digital one. So it's easier for me to spend on my travels. You click a button, it will go and execute on the back end for you and then deliver it back to your wallet. And you'll get the best rate, not just the best rate of anyone who owns a credit card, not just the best rate for a US person traveling to China. You'll get the best rate for anyone in China, which is actually pretty incredible if you think about it, because right now the only way to get the best rate on crypto, I mean, sorry, on currency transactions is to be on the stock exchange at the New York Stock Exchange or the London Stock Exchange. And I'm telling you, you'll be able to get that on your phone, which is a huge advantage for people. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Got it. Got it. So then what is this going to do to banks? So that's a pretty hard prediction to make, like what's going to happen to banks in general. Uh, I think that, but I can think I can confidently say that a lot of banks are really smart and they're going to be very adaptive to this technology. And you're already seeing them start to do that. And I could be wrong here, but I'm pretty sure that uh, it was either Goldman Sachs or JP Morgan or someone is one of the major investors in uh, the coin center circle um, stable coin for US dollar coin. And so they're actually, there's already banks that are interested in starting to build the back end to make these uh, uh, dollar based coins um, easier to use. And I think that that's only going to continue to get much, much bigger. You could see several more banks coming in and issuing these types of um, dollar backed coins. And they make money on this on the float, by the way. If you're wondering, if you're wondering how banks make money for these stable coins is when you send a thousand dollars in order to get a thousand stable coins back, that means that there's a thousand dollars sitting in that bank's account and they get to earn interest on it. So banks love making money by earning interest. Uh, And so I think that there's actually going to be a market for these. And in the U S at least we're going to allow private companies to develop them. Um, You can see in some other countries, they're talking about having, uh, like a central bank-based coin, uh, China has one that that's, has high government involvement. Um, but in the U.S., I'm I'm thinking we're going to have more of a private market solution for this uh, rollout. So there's going to be banks that make all these backends for all this, and then you're going to have banks also roll out wallets for you uh, in order to interact, um, you know, on your everyday basis, making payment transactions. So it's a it's a pretty. I think that banks are going to have more opportunities to make money, and that's just the tip of the iceberg for them. Gotcha. Yeah. You kind of alluded to something I was going to ask earlier too, is like, what is going to need to change in order for us to live in a world where I can travel to different countries and use the crypto? Am I, am I, you know, I I can just open Alipay and pay in China with the money that I already have in my wallet. Like what's going to have to change is new government regulations. Like, do you think every country in the world is really going to going to get on board to the point where this is a a, an, a truly global thing or is this still going to be you know just i don't know the western world is on board with this or like only certain countries are on board with this 
so yeah, I think we've seen that this is actually really global. And that's one thing that's very positive about cryptocurrency and that I try to express to people is that this makes the world much more international just by default because everyone's trading on the same markets. Everyone has access to the same technology. Everyone gets to go to the front of the line. No one has to wait for this to come to them uh, the same way that a lot of, uh, sorry, differently than a lot of other technologies. You know, when we rolled out the industrial revolution, it took hundreds of years for that to reach everywhere around the planet. And some places are still struggling. But this, this digital industrial revolution, because it's so much easier to ship around this information, uh, is going to hit everybody at the same time. So I think everyone's going to be able to participate. And then you're asking, like, what's going to have to change? I think it's a perception shift, mostly, right? And and for users, just need to get used to it. Uh, Fifteen years ago, you know, there wasn't a smartphone yet, and and you know, people would not be walking around just staring down all the time and, and reading the next news cycle. And here we are, fifteen years later, and you couldn't imagine living without your phone, you know, like for mapping or anything else. There's all sorts of things that you just you have to have it. Same type of shift is going to happen with uh, crypto finance over the next 15 years. You're not going to be able to imagine uh, a point in the past where uh, uh, you had to, where it was difficult to move your money um, across borders, where it was uh, painful for you to, um, you know, make a transaction because there was a huge fee that was stuck in the middle, where uh, your investment options were limited to only where you were right, where you had to like, you could only invest in the thing down the street because you didn't have access to US markets, um, where your business, if you needed to have a loan, uh, had to, didn't really have a lot of opportunities for where to source that from now, they could source it from everywhere. So these are the th- types of things that are gonna happen. It's gonna be basically a perception shift for people. And then for governments, governments always kind of trail behind. And so what I think is gonna happen is consumers are gonna adopt this technology, like, wow, this is super useful. And then governments are gonna come in and fill in with new regulations. And of course, there's gonna be a few uh, bumps along the way as we go through there, but ultimately, the amount of money that people are going to save by using crypto finance, cryptocurrencies, blockchain technology is going to get them on board. Just to give a number here, the global payments revenues in 2018 were estimated at 1.9 trillion, so let's just call it two trillion dollars, and that's about two and a half percent of global GDP. So just imagine everything you do in your life, you're paying this. Two and a half percent fee without you even really realizing right now it's being taken out of your pocket. Someone's reaching in and taking that out. And what technology is going to allow us to do, just like it did with everything, you know, I remember when, uh, you know, the first flat screen TV was $5,000 or something. And now I can buy one at Walmart for 250 bucks. Uh, technology is going to come in and it's going to drop the cost for these transactions by uh, an order of magnitude. So instead of paying $2 trillion a year, hopefully we can get that number, uh, you know, one-tenth that size. And then that puts so much more money back into consumers' uh, pockets. So I think governments and people are going to start using this technology simply because it's going to be better for them. Got it. Got it. Okay. So last question, Matt, just because I tend to be sort of a skeptical person. And when I hear things that are sound a little too good to be true, I'm always like, what's the catch, right? So are, are there any negatives or cons to the shift towards digital currency and crypto finance that you can think of? So I think some of the biggest, uh, biggest negatives around moving to a world that has uh, cryptocurrency as a default way of doing transactions are mostly issues around 
uh, <laughs> governments losing little pieces of control over the way that they work on the economy now. But I actually would view those as being net positive for individual freedom. So I think we're actually going to have an increase in individual freedom, and then we're going to have a net decrease in the amount of um, regulatory authority for um, people's actions. And so like, let me be very specific. I think that if you live in Brazil and you want to invest in Apple stock five or 10 years from now, it's going to be super easy for you to do that. So it's going to rearrange all these, all these capital markets. So there's going to be a uh, transition period for the whole world as, we, as the rules of the game have basically been changed. However, I think the, the net outcome from everyone is going to be beneficial. I guess one other con that may be easier for people to understand is people are going to have to learn how to do uh, digital security. And most people right now are actually really bad at being safe about being safe online just generally. So one of the things you hear all the time in crypto is I lost my keys or something like this. And um, you know, people lose access to their wallet or something like that. And right now, if you lose your credit card, they can send you a new one in the mail. Right now, if you lose your uh, cryptocurrency, then uh, you can't get it back. So we'll see if technology can improve on that front too and make that easier. I think technology is going to help both those. So I think technology will help regulators adjust this new climate. Um, and then I think that technology is going to help consumers uh, be better with their online security. We solve both those problems. I think that there's no reason why everyone shouldn't be using this every day. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on again, Matt, and letting me bombard you with questions. I always feel so much more enlightened after our conversations. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the questions. And uh, everyone else, thank you for listening. As always, if you have any comments or questions, or you have a guest that you suggest for us, please just reach out. We love hearing your ideas. So thanks again, and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Unstoppable Podcast. If something I've said today resonated with you, please rate, subscribe, download the podcast, and share this episode on social media with your network. This helps other people find us. And remember, the fun doesn't have to stop when the episode ends. We can continue the conversation on Twitter by tweeting your questions, thoughts, or ideas to me at Matthew E. Gould. We look forward to chatting with you, and thanks again for listening.